All right, I like that. Well, how are you this morning, community of faith? Yeah, yeah. How are you online? Let me hear you. God's doing some amazing things among us. You know, I am more excited than I've ever been about the future and what's getting ready to happen. And you say, in the middle of all this, where are you? Are you maybe in some kind of a trial right now? Are you uh, feeling discouraged right now? I mean, I can totally understand that. You know, we think we're making it through to the end of COVID and, and then all of a sudden they call it the Delta variant, right? There it is. And then someone's telling me, oh, the Lambda variant. I mean, how many Greek alphabet words are we gonna use here? And here's the thing. I think that it's time for God's people to begin to not live in fear and negativity, to begin to step out. I'm talking about you. If you're at home right now, I'm talking about you. You know, during the, the Middle Ages, the Black Plague, the, the, the terrible Black Death, they called it, you know who stood up strong in the midst of that as everyone else cowered in fear? The believers, because they knew that they had a God who's able, and they knew that they had eternal life. And if God is trying to bring America to a certain place, I think it's time for us to stand up. So I want, if you're at home and you don't have any reason to stay home anymore, I want you to come home, okay? It's one thing to hear the music at home, but it's a whole other thing when we're here together worshiping. And I think we've got a great big God who's got our hand and he has got us to hold each other's hand. And I'm excited about the future and what God has in store for us. You know, one of the, the really cool things as uh, Wes and I have become this really great team together, um, he's become the lead pastor doing some of the internal things here on this campus. Marco's the lead pastor in Cancun doing the internal things there. So it frees Laura and I up to get back to doing what we love to do the most, and that is to walk with you. In fact, we've got some really exciting things uh, about I don't know, it was about 10 years ago, I had a, a life coach for a while. He charged like $500 an hour. Now, he didn't charge me $500 an hour. I wouldn't have had him, okay? But it really made huge impact in my life. And we want to be that for you, to bring back functionality to the family, to begin to see what God wants to do in you, in your marriage, with your kids. I mean, I'm excited about God, what God wants to do with your kids, but we've got to get back to the basics. We've got to get our kids back in church for one thing. And so it's time. It's our time. You know, I was reading a book this week that really interesting book. It, it, um, is, uh, it, it was called The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook, 20th Anniversary Edition, which I guess you need a lot of editions of that. But uh, Joshua Piven and another guy wrote it. And it's based on interviews with uh, people in a wide variety of fields about how to survive Worst case scenarios, like if you're stuck in quicksand, that's always important to know in Cyprus, right? If you're in quicksand, how do you get out? There are things you do, things that you don't do. Um, how to land a plane if the pilot dies on you. That's a good one. How, how to break down a door. There's even a whole chapter called how to perform a tracheotomy on a friend or a stranger, I guess, you know. Um, to me, one of the <clears throat> more interesting sections is entitled how to survive if your parachute fails to open. Now, let me just read you what it says. First, 
signal to a jumping companion. Let's hope you have a jumping companion, right? If you don't have a jumping companion, I think the signal would just be something like, you know, (laughs) maybe. But hopefully they haven't opened their chute yet. And it says, you get them to come to you. You get, you know, you, you get together and you lock arms through their straps. And it says, then when you open the chute, you're traveling at 130 miles an hour. So there's gonna be what you would call chute shock. You gotta be real careful when you say that, you know? Chute shock. And, and, and that means that you'll probably dislocate both your arms, he said. And then you'll probably hit the ground softly enough that you only break a leg and your chances of survival are quite high. I'm not sure if you wanna survive that, but you know, I thought maybe look for concrete or something you know, and just get it over with. But there's another interesting uh, section. It's, in, it's, it's entitled, you know, what to do if you are confronted by this. Take a look on the screen there. You see that? They're real people. They're around here, you know. Did you know that? Um, so here's the deal. You're, you're hiking around Town Lake and um, just right around the little, you know, middle of Town Lake and all of a sudden you are confronted by an angry mountain lion. What do you do? I'll give you four options and you tell me the best one, okay? Run, play dead, make yourself look bigger by opening your coat, sing a gentle happy song. Turn to your neighbor and tell them the one that you think it is. Which one do you think that is? Which one? Okay. If you said sing a gentle happy song, you're wrong. Okay. According to the worst case scenario survival handbook, the answer is C, make yourself look bigger by opening your coat in Houston in the summer. So um, let's try another one. Same scenario, angry mountain lion. They cover this in the manual too. You have a small child with you. What do you do? Pick the child up. A. B. Shield the child with your body. C. Shield your body with the child. D. Run. You may not be able to outrun the mountain lion, but you can probably outrun the small child. Okay, share with your neighbor. Which one is it? It's A. Pick the child up. And uh, unless you're a narcissist sociopath, all right? Pick the child up, open his coat, open your coat in Houston in the summer. One last one. I, I kind of came up with this one. Okay, I'll admit to you. You're in the lobby at Community of Faith. Pastor Mark Shook is coming up to you looking like he might want to hug you. He looks a little pale. COVID Delta variant. What do you do? Answer, A, open your coat to make yourself look bigger. (laughs) Two, run. You know he has a bad leg. He can't catch you, right? That's all I got, all right? Just kidding, but it's so, you know, I mean, it kind of makes sense to have a little book like this, and it's been a bestseller for like 20 years because we come upon worst-case scenarios. Um, I want to talk about a worst-case scenario today in our Stronger series. We're looking at these Jewish boys, they were, who had every reason in the world to hate God because this enemy had come in, maybe killed their parents, killed those that they loved, had destroyed their temple where they worshiped, destroyed their culture, and were taking them away 
to influence them, as Wes talked about last week, and change them and change their culture, this pagan, God-hating culture that was in Babylon. And one of the reasons why the Bible was written, it was written uh, as a handbook for life, how to help us know in worst-case scenarios where we stand. One of the, the bedrock principles of being stronger is in that life and death decision moment to know what to do. But also this thing that we're gonna talk about today, it makes you stronger in every decision. And it's probably not what you thought it was because you might've never heard of it before. I call it strategic disappointing. Strategic disappointing. Abraham Lincoln said, you can't please all of the people all of the time, right? You're gonna disappoint someone, your boss or your wife, your friends or your kids. It's important to decide in advance who you're going to disappoint because what we end up doing is running around putting out fires and we disappoint those that are closest to us a lot of times just by being busy and not figuring out who we want to disappoint ahead of time because you're gonna disappoint somebody I know for Laura and myself, you know, I used to counsel a lot in the early days of the church. We didn't have a counseling uh, team or a counseling ministry, and I love to do that. But I had to make a decision at a certain point. Am I going to disappoint the people that would have me, want me to counsel them personally, or am I going to disappoint you guys on Sunday morning by not having a message ready? Because hearing from God during the week, I mean, it's a lonely thing. It's, you got to get alone. You got to study alone. You have to get a word from God and and really know what it is and have the confidence that it really came from him because I don't want to just stand up and share my words. And so you're putting in some 25, 30 hours putting something together and it's important. I didn't have time to do both. I was going to have to disappoint someone so I could either disappoint those that I counseled or you could go, wow, that was pretty mediocre, you know? And I had to make that decision, strategic disappointing. But I want to talk about the big one more today because the the decision that's coming for all of us in the near future, Jesus said it this way, no one can serve two masters. Here's what I want you to know. You've got to decide in advance who you're going to offend, culture or God. You see, we're coming to this place in America. England has been a few years ahead of us, but we're coming to this place where our culture is becoming anti-God. And it's going to come a time when we're going to have to decide there'll be a point. Are you going to offend culture? Are you going to defend or are you going to offend God? Are you going to offend culture or God? Look what Daniel did. Wes talked about it last week. They had every reason to be mad at God, but they continued to believe that God loved them. And Daniel 1.8, it says, but Daniel had determined in his heart that he would not defile himself. You know, he had predetermined who he was going to offend. I'm gonna offend the Babylonians, not God. I'm gonna do what God asked me to do. And I think his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's who we're gonna talk about today as they go through this really a trial. But I want you to hear a truth this morning. If you offend culture, if you sit down and say, okay, I'm gonna strategically choose who I'm going to offend, I'm 
going to come down to, it's going to be at one point in our lives, somewhere in the near future, I'm going to offend culture or I'm going to offend God. And you say, I would choose to offend culture. Here's the truth. If you offend culture, fiery trials will come. Let's look at the story for a minute. 18th year of King Nebuchadnezzar's rule. Since the events that Wes preached about last week, 16 years have passed. Daniel and his three friends have been made rulers through all these miraculous ways, rulers over the province of different parts of Babylon. Chapter three, verse one, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. That's a lot of gold, isn't it? 90 feet tall and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the temple he set up. So all these officials came. So here is this 90 foot tall solid gold statue to the greatness of this king that's ruling the whole earth, basically the known world. And he gets all of his leaders to come and stand before this, tens of thousands of people probably, standing out here on the plains of Dura. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, the kazoo, and other musical instruments. I put in kazoo to see if you're listening. Are you listening? Yeah. Other musical instruments bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground, worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So here comes all the music. I'm not sure what a zither is, but it was playing like crazy, okay? And they all bow down, thousands upon thousands, to this God king. Verse 8, but some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of all of those instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace, but there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, specifically, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods. They do not worship the gold statue you've set up. So as everybody's bowing, these guys don't bow. Where's Daniel? Daniel must be off on a mission or something for the king, or he's back running the palace because he was in charge of the whole palace at that time. He's not out there, so he wouldn't have bowed either, but it's his friends that are out there. They have to stand without him. And there was no doubt about what was gonna happen when they didn't bow because these astrologers, see, for 16 years, they had been having to kowtow kind of to, the, to, to these Jewish guys. I mean, they're foreign guys, but he put them in charge over us. How could he do that? We're the wise men of Babylon and he put them in charge and so they've hated them. So the first chance they get, it's interesting because it's that word inform in the original Hebrew, it it means to chew to pieces. They went in before the king and chewed these guys to pieces. Have you ever had anyone do that to you? 
So you can almost feel their eagerness to chew them to pieces as you read those verses. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage, ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power. Now, this is so interesting because in the couple of chapters before chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar several times has seen the power of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the power of their God. And he said, he must be the true God. But some years have passed and he's the king of the world and it's pretty hard not to get cocky. He does it over and over. And and, and so now he's saying, worship me because people are always in his ear. They should worship you. You're like a God king, you know? And so when he says that, what God will be able to rescue, he knows what he's talking about. He knows he's talking about their God. He's heard them talk about their God a lot. But he's saying, what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Now, this is not a real question. It's a rhetorical question. It's the same kind of rhetorical question that my dad used to ask me when I was growing up, when he would say, Mark, do you want a spanking? And I would say, well, I was going to go out and play, but yeah, that'd be awesome, you know? No, that's just a rhetorical question, right? It's like, you're not expecting an answer to that. You're going to bow down, but... That's not what happens. These three men, boys that have become men now, they, they actually answer the question. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, and I think they did it humbly. They're not like cocky and, you know, all full of themselves. They're like, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. I love that. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Literally in the Hebrew, again, it's like we have nothing to say in our defense. We're not going to bow. We're just not We've strategically decided that we're going to disappoint you, the ruler of the known world, and not our God, the ruler of the known universe. We've decided that in advance, and that's what's happening. I love that they said, our God whom we serve is able to save us. Have you experienced him being able to save you? I think we need to tell our children about that. We need to talk about that. I mean, he's the God who cares, the God who saves. We could go around here and story after story, I know your stories. I've walked with you and I know some of you, your marriages have been radically transformed. You thought it's gonna end in divorce, it's over, it's done. And God did his miracle that only God can do. Some of you, you were a prodigal far from God, agnostic saying, I don't even know if he's a real God, you know? And he brought you back and he pulled you close. You know, some of you, he's healed your broken body. Like this knee right here is doing great, by the way, with all your prayers. And I'm so excited about 
what God's doing. I'm already bending it at 80%. I got to get to 120% before I can start riding my bike around the lake in Fairfield, watching for mountain lions and wearing a coat. Our God is able to save us. I read a story this week that just talked about, it really was an illustration of how much God loves us, even in the little things. Pastor Joel Morgan, he was planning on visiting some missionaries in Eastern Europe, and he had never gone to Eastern Europe, and he knew it was a difficult place, a lot of times, uh, a lot of shortages. And so he asked some friends, what do I need to do? And they said, take toilet paper. They literally needed toilet paper. You could have sent them some that's still in your garage probably, right? But take toilet paper. You're going to need it. They don't have a, a supply. And you might want to take some snacks because there's sometimes they have run short of food in several places and you're going to need it. And so he said, that sounds like good advice. So he went to the grocery store. He's walking down the aisles of the grocery store. And this pastor, he's like, I have no idea what to take that I can get through customs and stuff. And, and he said, God, you know what I should take. I don't know what to take. Just kind of lead me here. And his eyes fell on a giant pack of Reese's peanut butter cups. And he just, he just felt compelled to grab them and put them in his, in his basket. Maybe you've felt that with Reese's peanut butter cups before, you know? And then he's going down the aisle and he sees a snack pack of four tapioca puddings. And he just felt compelled. He put them in his basket. And I think anybody, anytime anybody's drawn to tapioca, it's like a miraculous thing right there, right? So he put those in his basket and he's going along and he sees these little packs of those little mandarin orange slices, you know, not in, they're in water, you know, not in not in syrup and stuff. And it's, oh, that'll be great. Put those and some fruit cocktail. He put that in there. Well, he gets over to Timisoara, Romania to visit this missionary couple. They've been sent by a national agency, but it's almost like they're forgotten about. They've been there for 14 months and they haven't talked to an English speaker in six months. And so they're just so happy to, to have him and welcome him into their house. And they have two teenage daughters So he's there with them a couple of days. He encourages them, goes out and sees the work. But as he's getting ready to leave, he said, it's like God put on his heart. It's like only October, but maybe I could just give them a little Christmas ahead of time, you know, and I have all those little snacks. At least I can get them some of that because he noticed the food shortage was pretty bad at that time. And so he asked the girls, he goes, what would you like from, you know, the the States if I could get you something? And, And he was thinking surely that anything's going to be great, you know, that he pulls out. Uh, and they said, candy. And their mom said, you know what they really are longing for? Reese's peanut butter cups. Because you can't get that in this part of the world at all. And he goes, oh, and he pulls out this giant pack. Of, and the girls just start giggling and laughing and grabbing it and dancing. And, and I mean, they were so excited. And, and he said, he actually got a little tear in his eye because he thought, I, I didn't expect that. And then he asked the mom, and you, what would you want? She said, I miss fruit. I wish, you know, oh, I miss fruit. And, and he pulled out those little mandarin orange, and the mom began to cry right on the spot. And then so he looked at the dad, and he's thinking, I just need to pull out everything that's left and say, pick one, you know. But he said he's kind of nudged by God. He said, yeah, I'm doing something here, so go along with me. And so he said, and you? And he said, this amazing man of God, said, 
Well, I like something that nobody else likes, tapioca pudding. And he reached in and pulled out the four packet and then they all start bawling, you know? And he said, our God is able. He cares about the smallest things. Have you experienced that with him? He loves us and he cares about us. He is the God who is able. And we could talk about that from now on. We need to tell our kids about that. We need to remind them in the midst of all of this that he is able. But look at these guys. They say he's able, but then they go on. They didn't stop there. Think about this moment that's led up to where they are, okay? There's this moment where they hear that Nebuchadnezzar is building this idol, this giant golden, probably, you know, replica of himself, 90 feet tall. And, And they, oh no, you know, we've been praying for Nebuchadnezzar to come to know the real God, but something's going on here. And, and they just pray, God, please, you know, knock this down and don't let this happen. And God doesn't do that. And then they get called out and they're called out personally to go. Someone comes and gets them and rounds them up and said, let's go. They were hoping they could stay back and not get called out there, but they did. And then they're there and the music plays and everybody bows and they're saying, God, please don't let anybody see us. But of course they were seen by those people that so hated them. And now they're before the king and they're saying to the king, we didn't really expect to be in this place. We honor you the best that we can, but we've strategically chosen who we're gonna disappoint. But I want you to know, King, our God is able. He's the one that took care of old Pharaoh all those years ago. He's the one that parted the Red Sea. He's the one that did all of the miracles that we've seen. And remember back what he did even with you, answering your dreams and stuff. That's the God that we served. And then they said, I think, some of the most faith-filled words I've ever heard uttered. But even if he does not, See, they'd already decided. Even if he does not, I'm gonna strategically disappoint the ruler of the known world, but we won't offend our eternal God and we know that he's able to save us. But even if he does not, we're not going to bow. We're going to believe his heart for us is good. Shadrach's name before they changed it was Hananiah. It means Yahweh is gracious. God is good. Meshach's name was Mishael, who is like God. They believed that. Abednego's name was Azariah. Yahweh will help me. See, they believed. They believed in this God who was going to help them and make a difference and step in. Or even if he didn't, he knew what he was doing. They would die for him. Do you have kind of a fairy tale faith that thinks, you know, it's all supposed to be work out just wonderfully. It doesn't happen that way in a broken world. The Bible tells us that it's not a a fairy tale. In fact, it's interesting. One of the verses that we love to quote in Romans chapter eight, verse 35, I didn't write it down, just listen to it. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Well, I mean, we've got the love of Christ, but then he starts bringing in all these other things. And then he says, as it is written, Old Testament, for your sake, God, 
we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter, but in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. And we quote all the time, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? But then we don't say, and for your sake, we're killed all day long, right? See, I think the world is gonna start respecting our Lord Jesus Christ when you and I, by the grace of God, choose to disappoint culture, even if we have to stand alone. And we need to teach our children because the spirit of Antichrist is already in this world, right? Nebuchadnezzar the king, what does he say? Well, cool, I really respect that. No, that doesn't happen. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. That's not a good sign, you know? When the the king of the known world's face is distorted with rage towards you. And he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up, threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Peter, Peter who knew Jesus like no other really, listen to what he says in 1 Peter 4, 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised or shocked that you're going through testing that is like walking through fire. The Bible tells us this. Verse 24, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. Their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. We pray to be delivered from the fire, but God promises the greatest miracles are found in the fire. See, we see the miracle of God's presence. Didn't we tie up three men? I see four, and one of them looks like the son of the gods. He didn't know anything about Jesus, but I think this was a pre-incarnation. See, Jesus existed. He is God. He's always existed. He wasn't just born when he came to earth with Mary, his mother. That was just him moving into flesh to be with us. He existed before that, and he showed up a few times, I think, in the Old Testament. This is one of them, the miracle of God's presence, and then the miracle of God's freedom. I see four men unbound. They threw them tied up. Now they're unbound. See, they lost their bonds, those those ropes that bound them. That's the only thing that burned away, and I think trials have a way of, of breaking us and stripping us of all our pretenses and and, and reframing reality 
to what really matters. I talked to a guy this last week and his son had had COVID, desperately ill, didn't have to go to the hospital, but he was at home quarantined in his little room and he said he would you know, put on three masks and go in there and give him his food and then he'd walk out and he would just fall on his knees and God, please save my son, please save my son. He said, when your son has bad COVID, you don't care how much money you have in the bank. You don't care how successful your business is flourishing. He said, only one thing really matters. See, it's stripped down to us and to God. And, and, and we finally have to get real. We lose those things that have bound us, pride, selfishness. One of the big things is the fear of what other people are gonna think. What culture is gonna think about us and we gain a greater sense of this God who is with us. I imagine they must have spent a little time in the furnace together with Jesus because it took a while for that seven times hotter fire to die down. I wonder what they talked about. Did Jesus say, my father is so pleased with you guys. You guys, I'm so proud of you. And your name is gonna be mentioned throughout all of the rest of time on this planet Whenever someone's in the midst of a, a huge trial, they're gonna remember you. They're gonna remember your faith. I'm so proud of you. God decided to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace, not from it. And, and I think that's still true. I think there's gonna be times, times that look dark. Let me just read you the end of what happened and we'll close out. Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel, he didn't know, a messenger it means, to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command. That was his own command, right? I think he's distancing himself now. We're willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb. Their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. I wonder what the rest of their life was like. They're not mentioned anymore in scripture. But I just imagine as old, old men that they would get together sometimes and pull out those old robes that they were wearing. When they got, you know, the ones that their wives had tried to throw away five times but they wouldn't let them like, remember that, remember that? I bet they never forgot that moment. Sometimes God delivers us from the furnace, but there are the greatest times when he delivers us in the furnace because he's the God of the furnace, right? And the reason why I bring this up even today is because I think there's a great danger for followers of Christ here in this country. We, we've lived in a comfortable country up until COVID, right? And I think that the danger is that the primary goal of our life can be furnace avoidance. In fact, I think churches can begin to even teach that. That's, that's our American heresy. God deliver me from pain and discomfort and suffering and inconvenience and make my life smooth, make my life easy, make my life comfortable, make it pleasant, remove obstacles, even low level Flames, but God calls us to a dangerous life as he did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He has something better for us. Imagine if God was using a Google calendar back in 
this day because he can do that. He's outside of time, right? Now, God wouldn't use a Google calendar because, you know, we all know Google's from the devil, but I'm just kidding. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. But he's saying, I've got to go someplace at this time on my calendar. I've got an appointment in the furnace with these three men. What if they had missed it? What if they'd said, you know, I, everybody knows we love God, but, you know, this is just a formality. Let's just kind of bow down. and It's okay. It's going to be fine. You know, we'll get back to our stuff. God will get it. He'll understand. I want to ask you to consider doing something quite dangerous this morning. I want you to consider asking God for less heat, for an easier more pleasant, more secure life, because there's something better. See, I think the golden statues in our world, they tend to be gods with names like comfort, ease, security, success, popularity. And somewhere along the line, we in the church, we've gotten the idea that following God guarantees an easier life. Let me put it in the form of a question. How many of the heroes of our faith had easy lives? How many of the heroes that are in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews that says, this is the roll call of the faithful, had easy lives? Let me just read that real quickly to you. Verse 32 of Hebrews 11, the writer says, what more could I say to convince you? There's not enough time to tell you of the faith of all of these. Through faith's power, they conquered kingdoms, established true justice. Their faith fastened onto their promises and pulled them into reality. That's prayer. It was faith that shut the mouth of lions. We'll hear about that in this series. Put out the power of the raging fire, caused many to escape certain death by the sword. Although weak, their faith imparted power to make them strong. Faith sparked courage within them and they became mighty warriors in battle, pulling armies from another realm into battle array. Prayer again. Faith-filled women saw their dead children raised in resurrection power. But he didn't finish there. It was faith that enabled others to endure great atrocities. I'm not liking this as much. They were stretched out on the wheel and tortured. They didn't deny their faith in order to be freed. They longed for more honorable and glorious resurrection. Others were mocked and experienced the most severe beating with whips. They were in chains. They were imprisoned. Some of these faith champions were brutally killed by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were slaughtered by the sword. These lived in faith as they went about wearing goatskins and sheepskins for clothing. They lost everything they possessed. They endured great afflictions. They were cruelly mistreated. They wandered the earth, living in the desert wilderness, in caves, on barren mountains, in holes in the earth. Truly, the world was not worthy of them, not realizing who they were. I love how John Ortberg Ortberg put it. He says, what Jesus basically said to people Follow me and you're gonna have a a great big God and you're gonna have outrageous joy and you're gonna be in trouble all the time. And they followed him. They followed him by the hundreds, then the thousands, the tens of thousands. They followed the same path that he walked on. They followed him through servanthood. They followed him through sacrificial generosity. They followed him through community. They followed him to suffering. They followed him to persecution. They followed him to death. Ortberg goes on and says, do you understand that we're here today in this room 
And this is a matter of historical fact, of simple historical record. Throughout history, hundreds and thousands of ordinary men and women, most of whom are long since forgotten, names and faces that will never be remembered in this world, said they were willing to go to the furnace. They loved God that much. They said, I'll suffer. I'll give everything for you. I'll die. And when they did, and when their final moment came, which it will for you, God did not forget them or overlook them or abandon them. God said to them what he said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what he said to Stephen, who was the leader of the early church, the first martyr, what he said to Paul and Peter as they too were martyred, what he said to Martin Luther in the Middle Ages, to Martin Luther King, to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, to Mother Teresa on the streets of Calcutta, what he says to his followers in North Korea today and China and now Afghanistan as the Taliban regains control. And maybe, just maybe to somebody this morning here in Cyprus, Texas, I'll meet you in the furnace. I'll meet you in the furnace if you dare. I'll meet you there. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had their day. Peter and Paul, they had that day. Community of faith, this is our day. This is our day. This is when we say to our kids, there is one God. He loves us. His heart is for us. God isn't necessarily gonna save us from the fire, but he brings us to it. Don't give up. Some of you are in the fire right now. Your miracle is in the fire. God is in the fire. You see, you've been praying, some of you, for a long time. God, bring America back to you. And God says, yes, I hear that. I'm gonna have to take America through the furnace. It's gonna cost you everything. It's gonna cost you everything. Oh no, well, God, you know, I didn't really mean bring America back to you like that, you know. You realize America is not coming back to God at all right now. In fact, we're on a hell-bent run the other way. If we're coming back to God, it's going to come through pain and hurt, and we won't be immune either. Are you open to that? And if you stand up to culture at any point, it could cost you your job. It could cost you your livelihood. It could cost you a lot of things. Peter, he said this in 1 Peter 4. He said, so even if you should suffer now for doing God's will, continue doing good and trust your futures to the judgment and mercy of a faithful creator. Don't give up. Your miracle is in the fire. You won't be alone. So we've got to decide in advance who we're going to offend. And if we offend culture, God promises fiery trials will come. But you won't be alone. You'll know God like you've never known it. And those things that bind you now, they'll be burned away. It won't matter because he's God, he's on the throne. Come home, community of faith, come home. Would you close your eyes with me? 
Would you say that little prayer? You say, I'm not an idiot. I'm not saying that. God, I'm going to quit praying for less heat. And I want you. I want you. I want you. I want you. I want my kids to know you. I want my grandchildren to love you. God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Father, we need courage. Father, we need you. And Father, give us the faith to stand. Give us a faith that when people look at us with whatever variant of COVID comes in next, whatever else happens in our culture that we stand and we say, we have a God who is able and I want you to know him. He loves you. And then even if it costs us everything to do that, we've already said in our heart, but even if you don't save me, we'll live forever together. We'll throw back our heads by the crystal sea in a big belly laugh and go, that was an adventure, that was worth it. So good. Father, give community of faith. Give the men and women that are within the sound of my voice right now. Give us courage. Give us faith. Give us your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.